Welcome back to the No Name Football Podcast. Uh, as usual, I'm here uh, with my former teammate, seven-year NFL veteran, fullback, special teams extraordinaire, uh, Jason McKee. We called him J-Max, so you'll hear me call him that the rest of the podcast. Like He calls me Brother O, not a whole... Everybody I know is calling me up, J-Max, like, Brother O. I'm like, no, 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 guys. Not, <laughs> that's not for everybody. Right, right. That's not don't, for everybody. Don't take my name, man. Come on. The select few, if you've been in the trenches and if you sweat together and you bled together, then you earn the right to do so. And you know, now that we brought it up, everybody's going to call me that no matter where I go. Right. Anyway, uh, J-Max... Uh, you know, big week, obviously, in Chicago. Uh, they finished, the Bears finished their draft off. Uh, get their offensive tackle, Tevin Jenkins, number 39 in the draft, trade up for him. Uh, get a fifth round, another offensive tackle. Finally, uh, putting some resources into that offensive line, Larry Barome. And later on in our podcast today, uh, we'll have Brandon Thorne on. Obviously, you know, he, no, no one studies the offensive line, especially in the draft this year. Uh, he, you know, he did a lot of scouting reports for the Bleacher Report. Um, so he'll be on later in this podcast to, re, to just go over those picks and what he thought about those two guys. Uh, the Bears come back in the sixth round. Uh, they get a cornerback from Oregon. Uh, they get a running back and they get a wide receiver. And then last but not least in the seventh round, get themselves a big nose guard, uh, from BYU. And we'll go over all of those guys, uh, here. Although, to be honest, you know, we don't have much film on them, so we don't know much about, <laughs> about those guys. I know you know some about them, J Mac, but, uh, first and foremost, J Mac, like usual on this podcast, uh, I wanted to talk to you about, you know, being the, uh, Carmel Catholic head coach uh, how, how this year has been different especially I know with my two boys uh, like Josh has to be down in Illinois already in early June uh, James is already training for his last season at Loyola it's a quick turnaround for these kids from a coaching perspective and a guy who played the game for a long time uh, how has this year the pandemic been different for your kids up there at Carmel Catholic and, and what are you guys doing to get them ready yeah first uh, I want to commend you and your family on Josh you know being able to go to U of I playing D1 ball and what people don't see is brother which I see a lot you know being able to come here you know to your gym you put in a lot of work with your boys and not just your guys but you know their friends and you open up your gym and and I commend you on that I mean you do a tremendous job and obviously it shows you know Josh is going to be a tremendous player but obviously he's a tremendous person and that's kudos to you to you and the wife and the family man so congratulations on that um to go into to coaching uh it's been real different brother obviously Illinois this is the first time we've had spring football uh so you know we almost looked at it in terms of the spring season being like preseason for us you know you had a short sample size of games and then you have that quick turnaround. So for us, it's, you know, for us, our guys got to continue to get bigger. We got to get stronger. Uh, we lost some time in the summer last year because our new weight room was being built. So we didn't have an opportunity to have a weight room. So the whole summer, you know, our makeshift weight room was out on the football field. You know, we're doing old school, you know, uh, Ironman challenges and things like that because our weight room was being built. Um, so, you know, for our guys, we got to get bigger, faster, stronger. And, and I'm sure uh, that's what majority of the coaches are trying to do in such a short span. Uh, but the good thing is, I know for a lot of coaches, they got an opportunity to get guys extra playing time. So for us, it was an audition to see what we had in our young players to get them a, you know, a short sample size so we can kind of evaluate them even more. And it just gave us a jump start for the fall. So it's been challenging, but at the same time, there are some rewards that came about uh, with this spring season. 
Yeah, man, it, it, it was definitely a, a different season for these high school kids, but uh, they'll adapt, they'll adjust, uh, they'll, they'll train, they'll get ready uh, for the season. Ho- hopefully, um, it's a little more back to a little closer to normal. Uh, seems like we're creeping back there, but unlike other radio hosts and podcasts, uh, <laughs> J-Mac, we won't play medical experts on (laughs) on our podcast uh just hoping that these kids can get back to normal soon and and by that we mean school and sports and and just life in general everybody you know i'm I'm sure the bands haven't been haven't been out there we're getting together and and working on uh, what they need to work on so uh the closer we get back to normal the better for everybody but i will move on j mac uh quickly here uh that the big news uh, this week, just recently, is the Bears decide to part ways with left tackle Charles Leno. Um, been a lightning rod uh, for a lot of Bears fans. I thought he was solid. We talked about him uh, with uh, Brandon Thorne the last time he was on, mm-hmm. and Brandon Thorne thought about the same thing. Solid left tackle, played played to about the level that they paid him at. You know, uh, middle right. of the pack right. left tackle guy who was drafted in the seventh round uh, hasn't missed a game in five years. If you go back through the Bears drafts, uh, J Mac, uh, 2011 Gabe Karimi, uh, 2008 I think it was first round Chris Williams, 2002 first round Mark Colombo, mm. um, Stan Thomas. Before that, I think there was another guy. I'm forgetting his name now, uh, but you know. Leno probably was the best Bears draft pick at tackle since Jimbo Covert in 1983. So, uh, you know, turn it, turn that seventh round pick into a pretty, a pretty good career. The thing that bugs me about that release, J Mac, is the fact that you could have saved the same amount of money cutting Jimmy Graham. Yeah. And then the thing is, too, you know, you bring up all that. And, and yeah, we've been on, uh, we've been on pace about, the draft picks he's missed on. And we're not going to talk about this draft because I think he did a great job. Just this draft, obviously, like a lot of people, but you know, he definitely hit on Charles Leno. Seventh round pick. I think it was what, 93 consecutive starts, brother O? Mm-hmm. I, I think, I think Leno was Emery. Okay. I think, I think Phil okay, Emery. And I think, um, Ryan Pace was the year after, right? So he after. inherited. So that's yeah, my fault. But ninety, but ninety three consecutive starts mm-hmm. in a seventh round pick. I mean, mm-hmm. that's huge. That's huge. And yeah. and he's another guy too. Like you mentioned, you you trying to save money, you can get rid of Jimmy Graham. You already have Cole Komet there. But at the same time, this is a guy who's played a lot of ball, who could help some of the young guys that you just brought in. Help them turn into pros. Obviously, Tevin Jenkins got a lot of promise, but he still has to learn what it means to be a pro in the NFL. Mm-hmm. Completely different game. Uh, Larry Borm, same thing. You know, you have a guy on that line who's played a lot of football, you know, who could help mentor these guys, help bring them along faster, but also help continue to develop the young guys who got a lot of playing time last year, like our guys, Alex Bars and Sam Mustafer. Continue to help building that relationship with those guys to help them guys be a better pro from a guy who's Granted, not costing you a whole lot, but you could have made some other moves to keep that guy, and he could have been that mentor along the offensive line. Yeah, and, and that's the thing where the Bears are right now, J-Mac, right? That their offense is so bad at scoring points that they got to keep a guy like Jimmy Graham, I guess in their mind. That's the way they prioritize. Right. And that's the way it looked for years, right? They prioritize these skill guys over linemen. And, and this is really Pace's first time that he went out there and tried to get a few linemen, right? Try to right. get a lineman early, trade up for Tevin Jenkins, uh, uh, drafted Larry Barone, put some resources into the big guys up front. But it shows you right away 
what they value on their offense. When they meet, what they talk about immediately, right? They talk about, okay, we can't get rid of Jimmy Graham. We can't get rid of a spot playing tight end in the red zone. Red zone. Right. We got can't get put a guy who doesn't run block. He, he, you know, if you right. ask Jimmy Graham, do you want to run block? He'd probably tell you no. I, I don't. Right. That's not what I'm here for. I'm here to score touchdowns and be a matchup problem for people. And it shows you immediately what they prioritize in that building when they're collaborating. The word they use when they're all collaborating, right. they come up with how do we save money? Well, we start. We cut our left tackle, who, like you just said, starting left tackle, starting left tackle, who you just said has ninety three starts around. It just seems to me, okay. Now uh, we talk. We're going to talk about development and developing these guys. I, I think most guys you ask would tell you that Tevin Jenkins fits better at right tackle. Yeah. So now the, your immediate decision is to cut the left tackle and probably move Tevin Jenkins to left tackle. Yeah. And and you know, you know his arm length is is a question for some. His pass blocking is a question for some. It doesn't seem to me like the Bears are going to prioritize running the ball, although they might with the way they're going. Yeah. Uh, that might be what they're thinking. But uh, just these are the questions. These are the, the the things you have questions about. Even though they had a good draft, your plan and developing these players, J Mac, that is crucial. Yeah, and it almost like you said, the value in terms of offensively the scheme it's like they want to build it they're not building it through the trenches like you would think they would you know everything starts with front on both sides of the line offense and defense and, and the offensive line is the heartbeat of the team <laughs> we know that it's always it was during our time here uh as as the offensive line went we went as an offense and as you see that through the bears play last year it's the same thing you know when guys were getting injured that offense stalled they already have they already have not been able to score points consistently and that's been a problem but they continue to build it up from the outside in, which doesn't make sense. And like you said, like you, you draft Tevin Jenkins, like you said, who's a right tackle. You cut your starting left tackle and you're going to just flip him. That, that's, that's not easy. I mean, mm-hmm. you played a position. I haven't even played it, but it's like you're going from a guy who's used to being right handed. Now you're telling him, Hey, all of a sudden you're going to write with your left hand. That's not like you can just plug and play that guy. And I know that he, we got him in the second round and he's supposed to be, you know, mock drafts had him as a first rounder. He has a mean streak. He's nasty, but guess what? This is a grown man's league. You ain't playing against college teams. You're not playing against Southwest, South Missouri State, and no disrespect to those guys, but this is the NFL. You're going to get the best of the best each and every week, and guess what? In the NFL, all the defensive linemen have a mean streak because they're all chasing that money bag, and and, and as they get more sacks, they get closer to that money bag, brother. Oh, yeah, and, and the one thing that these young guys will figure out fast is that being nasty in college and being nasty every day in the NFL is two very different things. It's, it's hard. It's hard to go out there, uh, be a tough guy, be nasty all the time in the NFL because these guys are really tough. I mean, it was funny, J. Matt, because when they took Tevin Jenkins and I heard him talk after the draft a lot about being nasty, which is fine. I mean, these young guys are excited, J. Matt, you know, I, I wish they wouldn't, but, but whatever. Oh, uh, do, do your thing, right? Uh, uh, promote yourself, promote how nasty you are, but right. ev- eventually you're going to have to prove it. But, I was sitting there and I was having deja vu and I didn't know why. I was like, why Why does this seem so familiar to me? All this talking about uh, how tough this lineman is and he's going to get after people and the way he plays. And I remember that's exactly almost the same things, J-Mac, verbatim of what they said about Mark Colombo in 2002. I, I got an article right here Uh-oh. written in 2002. Oh boy. The, the headline says, Nasty Boy 
Colombo brings tood. So th- th- we, we've been through this before now. Mar- <laughs> Mark, I'm going to call Mark. Oh, man. I'm but, calling no, Colombo. No, be fair to Mark. Fair to Mark. That's my guy, When man. you dislocate your kneecap For and sure. the thing is down in the middle of your calf oh, against man. the Rams, uh, uh, th- that's going to that's gonna yeah. set your career back just a little bit. And yeah. Mark was a big, tough football player. He was player. tough as Yeah, man. he did get he after was tough, people. Man. So, so that, that ended up being true. <laughs> and then all that stuff ended up being true about Mark. But I remember hearing all that coming in and him saying, I like to play tough football. I can't wait to play uh, with Olin. And I was, you know, of course, I had a few words of encouragement for him uh, when he walked in the door. But um, just you have to get here. Uh, you have to prove it first. But, yes. you know, since, since we do have Brandon coming on shortly, J-Map, I wanted to ask you if any of these draft picks, you know, obviously in the sixth round, Khalil Herbert, Daz mm-hmm. Newsom, Thomas Graham, uh, Kyrie Tonga, the, um, the nose guard from uh, BYU, doesn't look like a guy I'd like to try to move it over there in the middle of the offensive line. I'd be asking the coach for outside zone against that guy. But right. uh, Larry Barone, uh, there any? What about the undrafted free agents, J Mac? Any of these guys that you liked or you you, you want to see play more of uh, going into camp? Yeah, I mean. Of course, I'm going to give a shout-out to my Temple guy, Daniel Archibald. I don't know much about him, but uh, the Bears brought another Temple guy. And I know, having being from that program, he's going to be tough, a tough-minded individual. So he's going to give his all. But you know, I'm looking at uh, the running back they signed from Coastal Carolina and, and C.J. Marable. Uh, he's a guy, Coastal Carolina played well, and he was a big part of that offense this year. Uh, he ran for, for his career over uh, 2,691 yards. He had 29 touchdowns. He averaged five point yards a carry. Um, he's productive. He's not a big guy. I think he only goes at about he's five seven about one ninety five, but he can do a lot of different things. So you look at them bringing him as a, him in as a free agent, and you also look at Khalil Herbert, who they drafted in the sixth round. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you wonder where does that factor in with Tariq Cohen? You know, are they somewhat of an insurance policy to see how Tariq rebounds from injury? Uh, they brought in Damian Williams in free agency, so you've got a crowded backfield right now. I think the difference is in, in Herbert is you know he brings value in the kick return game, so he's a guy that could you know have a shot at making the team on special teams but you know you can't have enough good backs and as you know injuries is a huge part of this game your running backs are going to get beat up so to bring in quality guys and to get a guy like Herbert in the sixth round but then another guy who can help contribute as a free agent I think that that'll help strengthen that running back room. Yeah, and that Daz Newsom I saw is a really good punt returner and, and thinking back to last year mm-hmm. talking about Terry Cohn again who J Mac, we bring him up a lot. I think I'll speak for myself. I think we bring him up a lot because he is a dynamic weapon when healthy, when being used right, yeah. when out there in the slot. You know, yeah. uh, get him the ball and screens. You know, so they missed him last year, obviously. Definitely. Um, and you know, he got hurt on a punt return against Atlanta. Uh, maybe take some of his special teams duties away, so you don't lose him again. But uh, all these guys, like you said, J. Matt, when you look down the fifty-three man roster, uh, they're going to be fighting to find some playing time. You know, even I think yeah. Ryan Nall is still on. He's still on the roster. Uh, I, if I never see him at fullback again, that'll be too early. Uh, <laughs> Come on, <laughs> no, no, no. I don't. Ever, I don't ever want to see him blocking ISO again the rest of my life. But he is a very good four-phase uh, special teams player, and I, and I know how important and how close to near and dear to your heart that is, yeah. uh, J-Mac. But, but talk to us a little bit about 
um, coming in as an undrafted free agent, a guy uh, with not a, you know, doesn't look like you have a great chance of making a team, which you were. Uh, Talk to us about the mindset and the work you have to put in to make it. Yeah, it's tough, man. You come in and, you know, when I came in, I came with the Philadelphia Eagles. And the crazy thing is I I came in as a fullback. I was fourth on the depth chart. Mm -hmm. And the guy who was ahead of me was a guy who I played played against at at the University of West Virginia. And he was a linebacker. So I felt even more disrespect. And I'm like, well, first of all, you know, this guy played linebacker his whole career. I played against this guy. I'm a legit fullback and they had me below him. So that just shows you, you know, you get in, you get an opportunity to play. So they think highly of you, but you know, they don't expect you to really do anything, you know, so you go in with a chip on your shoulder and as an undrafted free agent, you've got to prove yourself each and every practice, every single rep, not just on the field, but off the field as well. You know, you got to be in your playbook. You can't make no mistakes. All the cards are stacked up against you. So it's really tough if you have that mentality that, you know, you can go out there and you're prepared to, to overcome and, and achieve the world, you can do it. But it's going to take a lot of work. So, you know, as we've seen, there's been a lot of undrafted free agents that have had success in this league um, that have made a lot of plays. You look at James Robinson, who's the running back for Jacksonville. Last year, he was an undrafted free agent running back, and I think he had over 1,400 yards uh, from scrimmage in total yards. So mm-hmm. it's possible, but the cards are stacked against you. But if you have that mindset and hardworking mentality, uh, you can definitely do it. You can make a, a roster. But you're not only auditioning for, for the team that you're, you're signed with, you're auditioning for all the other teams in the league because they're going to watch your preseason film. And, and, and you know that last cut down day, oh, teams are going to be looking to fill spots. And if you play well in preseason, they're going to find you. So all the undrafted free agents out there, you know, you got your opportunity, you're in, but don't think you already made the team just because you signed a free agent deal. You're not on the team yet. You got to earn it. Well, yeah, and, and really, um, as you're seeing as we go on, and obviously, you know, the first four rounds, those guys get more opportunities. Yeah. Like, you know, better than anybody. For sure. Um, you know, guys, you know, I went in the third round. I think it was the 64th pick uh, to the Chicago Bears. And, and you get more opportunities than other guys coming in. Obviously, that's just a part of being drafted a little earlier. But, um, you know, three, four years down the line, if you can't play football, you're going home. So, uh, like you're saying to these young guys, they're going to find the best football players, no matter where you were drafted. Uh, Some guys may get a few chances, but you're going to get your chance. And when you do, uh, if you go out there and do your thing and show them that, you you know, you're one of the best 53 guys on that team or a guy worth developing on the practice squad, they're going to keep you around. They're so... Not there's not enough guys who can actually play NFL football that if you're good enough to play in the NFL, you will. Yeah. They will find you. And the thing about it too, brother, is is now I mean the practice squad rosters expanded. You know when we back in the day when we were playing, it was only five spots for the practice squad guys. Now I think it's like eight or ten. I don't know. I, I got to look that up. But there's more opportunity for guys to have success and to make a team. Than, than it was when we played. It was it was a lot less guys on the practice squad, so it meant less opportunity. You know, uh, Jay, I want to jump real quick before we get our guests on here um, to probably the, you know, not probably the most important pick uh, for the Bears in a long time uh, besides, you know, Ryan Pace got two shots at a top 12 quarterback in the draft. So, uh, uh Ryan Pace, you know, he, uh, uh, he, that's a lucky guy. That's a lucky general manager, Jay Mack, who misses on, uh, yeah. 
a quarterback at the number two pick of the draft and then gets another shot to take another he's got quarterback. Some intel somewhere, so, like you uh, always say, he's I, got the intel yeah, somewhere, man. I, I, I got to get a boss uh, <laughs> like uh, like the people's champ, the self self proclaimed people's champ, the uh, uh, parking lot walking George McCaskey, uh, and then the <laughs> Teflon Don, the untouchable Ted Phillips, and let me take two cracks at, at, oh, at quarterbacks in the first round. But uh, <laughs> I want to talk, uh, J Mac, just a little bit about you know, and I'm sure this will be ongoing the development of Justin Fields. A lot of arguments out there now. Uh, I've been on both sides, probably the argument of whether that he should play right. right away or sit behind Andy Dalton and Nick Foles. Uh, look, in that building, uh, they have almost a hundred years of guys who either played quarterback or coach quarterback. Uh, coach Nagy, uh, John DiFilippo, the quarterback coach, Bill Lazor, the offensive coordinator slash quarterback coach, right? Henry Burris, uh, offensive quality control. I think that's the name they gave him, but he played quarterback for right. almost 18 years. Right. Uh, Tom Herman, uh, he was a quarterback coach since 2005 in college. Mm-hmm. They got a lot of guys in there. If you talk about developing a quarterback, J Mac, what do you think is the most important factor for a guy like Justin Fields to be in the right situation so they can groom him to be their franchise quarterback? Yeah. I mean, the beginning, it's two sides of the coin. One, do you do you want to bring him along slowly? You know, but the only way you get experience is by playing. So, I mean, like what they've been saying, they're going to let it play out, which I think they should. You got to be fair. You can't just anoint the guy. Um, obviously, we know he is the quarterback of the future, but you got to let it play out. So, it's a matter of you know, with Justin, offensively, you got to you've got to tailor the scheme down to, to to let him have things that make him comfortable. You know, I don't know what that is, whether he's more comfortable rolling out. I mean, that's their job, but put him in a situation to where he's comfortable, to where he's going to succeed. And, you know, that develop, you develop it on, the, on that side. But another thing, too, is um, you know, how is Andy Dalton, you know, how is he going to help? Is he going to help with the development of Justin Fields? Being in that quarterback room, is he a guy that's going to, that Justin can go through, go to, uh, for mentorship, you know, for the little tricks of the trade or things like that? Or is he going to be one of those guys that say, Hey, you know what? This is a competition. You know, don't come ask me for no help. You know, I'm trying to win this job too. So, I mean, you get experience by playing, but at the same time, you know, do you want to, you don't want to, you know, kill his confidence by throwing him out there to the wolves, him not having success. And then you have a guy who had a lot of promise and then ends up being damaged goods. Yeah. And, and I, you know, if, if I could give any advice to Justin Fields, the first piece of advice I would give him is this, learn how to protect yourself. Mm-hmm. By that, I mean, learn your protections, mm-hmm. right? Learn, uh, Everything the offensive line is doing, you should know. Um, learn how to organize everything up front. I think they're going to play uh, Sam Mustafer at center. Uh, he can sit down. He should get with Sam Mustafer immediately. Yes. Uh, that is the strength of Sam's game. Uh, football is important to Sam. He's studying it all the time. Mm. Uh, he, he can see all the blind spots. He's studying the defense. He knows where the blitzes are coming from. These are things that really hurt Mitch Trubisky, J-Mac. And I remember... The first time I thought the Bears had a problem with Mr. Trubisky is in his second or third year. I forget which one it was. Mm-hmm. He was standing back there on third down, and his head never moved. By that, I mean he never scanned the defense. Right. He never took a look at where the, the blitz was coming from, how they were aligned. And that just tells me he didn't want to read it. Right. He didn't want to process the information. And at that moment, I thought to myself, man, these bears have a problem. They got a guy back there who doesn't want to organize everything. He just wants to read half of the field. And eventually in the NFL, that catches up. 
right? Yeah, yeah. And then he then then he, you know he got hurt against Minnesota running the ball a few times. Now he can't hold up to running the ball, and then we got a problem because now you don't not only do want to read the field, but you can't be a running quarterback either, right? So anyway, uh, Justin Fields, all these quarterback coaches they have on staff, and you know I'm gonna take a guess here. I don't, I don't know uh, what Coach Nagy makes, but I'm gonna think it's four or five million. Mm-hmm. De Filippo. About a million, mm-hmm. right? Uh, Bill Lazor, probably about a million. Office coordinator, Henry Burris, Tom Herman. I mean, these guys are checking in and right around yeah. $10 million a year. For sure. To develop a quarterback, right? They're, they're all quarterback developers in the building. If I'm George McCaskey and Ted Phillips, um, my question was, okay, with all the money I paid to everybody who was here before, you guys had, they had this, they, they had this for Mr. Trubisky too, yeah, remember? They're 0 for right? 1. They're 0 for 1. So, so I paid all this money. Uh, Heffrick was here. Childress was here for a year. Those are all quarterback coaches, yeah. right? Uh, uh, Ragone, who's now moved on, uh, to Atlanta to be their office quarter. He was a quarterback coach in the building too. I spent all this money before you guys didn't develop Mr. Trubisky. Take a good look at, uh, Coach Nagy's background. Uh, really, the only young guy that he was around that that turned out good was was Patrick Mahomes. He was around here from one year. Right uh, before that, he was coaching Alex Smith when he was in Philadelphia. It was Michael Vick. It was Donovan McNabb. Kevin Cole did not work out for them in Philadelphia. Took him in the second round. Right. And this is all stuff. So you you have a lot of guys in the building. Uh, they got to develop this guy, and, and I got to stay on top of where Justin Fields is in his development. But J Mac, I will say this. Usually I'm four guys sitting down. I, I sat my first year, learned a ton mm-hmm. from Casey Wigman. Uh, Justin Fields is a year older than me than when I was my first year with the Bears. I was 21. Right. He's 22. After hearing him talk, though, my immediate reaction was put him on the field, yeah. make him the leader of the team. And, and look, I know a lot of people are going to disagree with that, and, and he may take some lumps. Um, but I just think he's, to me, he seems like that kind of guy, J-Mac. Yeah, definitely. And look at, I mean, the big difference with him and Mitch is, I mean, the experience. I mean, how many games did Mitch play in his college career as opposed to Justin Fields? I mean, Justin Fields played, you know, in the biggest of games. I mean, his track record speaks for itself. I mean, the touchdown to turnover ratio is ridiculous. So he's a guy that's way mature. So I think the learning curve for Justin Fields will be, it'll be more accelerated than Mitch because in reality, when you brought Mitch in here, yeah, he's a first-run guy. He has all the tools. But mentally, he was behind because he didn't start a lot of games in North Carolina. Mm-hmm. You look at Justin Fields. I mean, also, you look at uh, Coach Day over at Ohio State. He's a quarterback guru as well. So the development has already been taking place with Justin Fields throughout his time at Ohio State. Way more starts than Mitch. Played in way more big games than Mitch. So he, the maturity level and the learning curve is way accelerated than, than, uh, than Mitch Trubisky for Justin Fields. So I agree with you, man. Hey, if he wins the job, put him in. The only way you get better is by experience. But I think when he sets foot in that locker room, he's a guy that's so mature that wants to be great. And we talked about it on our podcast last week, uh, with, with, uh, Kirk, was Kirk Barton, right? Yes. With, he talked about the maturity of Justin Fields and how his teammates all rallied around him, how his teammates all gravitated towards him. Him because he is that true leader that you need at that quarterback position. And that's why the Bears moved up and were lucky enough to land him at number 11. So if he's your quarterback in the future, he wins that job. I love to see Justin on the field. Yep. Uh, Kurt Barton from BuckeyeScoop.com. But but you're right, J-Mac. And look, if he gets here and he's overwhelmed by protections, the speed of the game, the ball's mm-hmm. not coming out quick enough, he's taking too many hits, then by all means, you, you got Andy Dalton, you got Nick Foles. Look, there's two other guys we didn't talk about who help or helping develop 
up Justin Fields. So uh, really now they have seven quarterback coaches on staff. I'm going to put Foles and Dalton in there too. If I put their salary in there, we got about $20 million. Foles, Foles might not be there. We got about $20 million just to developing right. uh, Justin Fields. Look, here, here's the biggest thing for Justin Fields. When, 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 we, when we say learn how to protect yourself, early in your career, you don't have to take any, any unnecessary hits. Get out of bounds, yes. get down, and, and here's the thing. Throw the damn ball. Get it out. Get yeah. it out. Don't, don't hold out. on to that ball because you don't have the time in the NFL. Guys hold the ball too long, take way too many hits like Russell Wilson and these guys, and then you know eventually they get mad at everybody because yeah. uh, they're holding the ball way too yeah. long. Look, They're hey, moonlighting hey, back there. Moonlighting hey. with the ball is going to get you killed. It's going to have you on the sideline. It's going to have you in, in – uh, in the training room, man. Hey, hey Russell and, and Aaron Rodgers, you guys got you guys want more people on your team, more linemen and receivers. Give up some of that damn money. Anyway, J Mac, we got to move on to Brandon Thorne. <laughs> well, J Mac immediately after the Bears traded up and and they, to thirty nine, and the name got announced. Tevin Jenkins. You, we both were thinking about this guy. Oh, yeah. uh, we got Brandon Thorne back joining us, analyst for Established to Run, um, you know, Scout Academy, does trench warfare. Um, also was wrote scouting reports for the Bleacher Report this year. Um, no one studies these young offensive linemen more. You can find him at Brandon Thorne NFL on Twitter. Uh, Brandon, thanks for joining us again, man. Absolutely, guys. It's my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Hey, Brennan, uh, you know, going back to Tevin Jenkins, I know when we had you on our, our previous podcast, I had asked you the question on who you think the Bears should take at 20, and, and Tevin Jenkins was the guy that you said. And, and the way you describe him as far as your evaluation of him, me and Olin was like, man, we're going to come pick you up and take you to Hallis <laughs> Hall and make sure the Bears draft him. Now, they didn't get him at 20. They got him in the second round. So, I mean, that's even better. But what? why do you think he's slipped a little bit. I know a lot of mock drafts had him as a, as a first-round grade. Why do you think he, he fell to the Bears in the second round? So I think it's probably one of two reasons or a combination of both. I think that he had uh, maybe a back issue in college, um, which I don't know a whole lot about. I just heard the, the kind of rumblings about that. Um, so that's potentially one thing that, you know, depending on how the medical you know, information came back, you know, at the Combine, I think they still went there and did the medical thing. Um, maybe that, you know, brought up some red flags. And then I also heard through the grapevine, through guys who talked to scouts, um, that, you know, maybe his love of the game was in question actually prior to this uh, 2020 season. Um, there was a pretty dramatic uh, improvement in his play from 19 to 20, which I looked at as a positive thing. But, you know, I didn't maybe know if there was any, background there of why you know maybe he wasn't this player sooner um so you know that stuff i can't really you know it's just speculation you know ultimately um i you know i don't know the details of it but i think those two things uh came up you know as guys the scouts you know dug a little deeper into his profile well uh brandon let's just talk about when you turned his film on uh Tell the yeah. tell the Chicago fans, Chicago Bears fans, in your perspective. You, I know you were high on him uh, going to the draft. What what kind of player are they getting? What kind of football player is Tevin Jenkins? And, and what should they expect out of him uh, come Sundays? Yeah, man. I mean, I think you know Bears fans are really going to appreciate the way he plays the game. First of all, um, just you know, just his his mentality on the field. Uh, he's very aggressive and physical, um, and he has the, the the upper body strength, the the leg drive, and the, I think the square power really to back it up. Um, so that's really, 
you know, how he wins uh, as a player when you watch him on film. And he has, you know, quite a bit of film of him doing that. I mean, even the 2019 tape, even though he wasn't as technically refined as he was in 2020, you still saw that, I think, just 2020. It just, you know, improved. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I think competitive toughness and play strength, and he also is pretty powerful. Uh, those traits right there, I think, are – all really good. Um, and I really like the way he uses his hands as well. I think he's a pretty crafty player in that sense in terms of how he can, you know, sort of manipulate leverage on guys and uh, unlock wrists and, um, you know, just use different techniques, uh, to, to beat guys in pass protection, um, and just to work inside of them and underneath them. So, you know, I, you know, that, that's really what, you know, kind of sold me on top of, the, the kind of the core strength of his game was just to see that kind of nuance to his game that he, you know, is clearly working on and actually applying on the field. Um, you know, and then in terms of him as an athlete, I think he's, you know, above average uh, in terms of like foot quickness, burst. Um, you know, they ran some zone stuff at Oklahoma State and you got to see him, you know, climb to the second level, you know, a couple screens as well. Um, so you got to see him kind of, you know, just get out there and see what his gait looked like and see how he ran. And it looked pretty good to me. And then I think the testing, uh, you know, backed that up as well. He tested pretty well, um, you know, relative to his peers in position. So, you know, I, I think there's not a whole lot of, uh, you know, glaring weaknesses in this game. I mean, I think I talked about it prior, uh, you know, his range, you know, which is kind of something that I think almost every single tackle prospect in the draft has some sort of question about, um, you know, in terms of he's seeing a really wide nine type of alignment from a speed rusher and his ability to really get to his spot without opening up too soon and, you know, creating that soft inside shoulder and all that type of stuff if he's on an island. Um, you know, but that can be mitigated, I think, to a large degree if the Bears are smart and how they, you know, kind of protect him, if you will, on, you know, third and obvious passing down maybe giving, you know, tight end alignment help with chip or just the slide to his, to his side, um, you know, and just mixing that up, keeping, you know, I'm not saying they have to, you know, you know, gear the whole offense around that weakness or anything, but I think that's something that you could see potentially creep up and give him some trouble. Um, but, you know, there, there's a lot to like with him, man. And I, I love the, the, the demeanor that he's going to bring to the offensive line. I think it's going to be really noticeable. Yeah, I'm glad you brought up the the pass protection aspect with Tevin. Uh, the Bears just cut their starting left tackle and uh, Charles Leno, yeah. uh, 93 consecutive starts. And, you know, Tevin, you envision him being a right tackle. I think that's what he was predominantly at Oklahoma State. And now the possibility of switching him to left tackle. Uh, talk about that transition. I mean, I've never played line, but, you know, me and Brother O was talking about it um, before we had you on. That's like, you know, you're going from being right-handed to doing something completely opposite in switching over to left tackle. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, the, the nice thing with him is he has seven starts of left tackle in his career, including last year having to switch over to the left side mid-game. Um, I know he did that against Tulsa. I watched that tape, and I think in the second quarter or so, he went over and played a couple series over there at left tackle and, you know, looked pretty smooth doing it. Um, I projected him best at right tackle just because he has 26 starts there, and that's where, the you know, predominantly he played even as two starts at right guard as well. Um, but yeah, so he's played a little bit of everywhere, but you know, I thought right tackle was kind of the, the natural fit um, for him. So yeah, that news yesterday was very interesting um, just because I, I think that's going to signal him starting out at left and 
uh, you know, I'm excited about it, but, you know, at the same time, it's not necessarily where I envisioned him in an ideal world, but I think it could work. And it's funny because my pro comparison for him was Jedrick Wills, who played right tackle at Alabama predominantly and then got moved and left as a rookie last year with the Browns. Um, so kind of a similar career arc, you know, to start their careers there with those two guys. Now, granted, Jedrick Wills had Joel Bentonio inside of him mm-hmm. and playing for Bill Callahan. Um, you know, which I know all those things really help a young guy out at the new position. Um, so hopefully, you know, Juan Castillo, I know he's been around forever. He's coached multiple positions. I'm sure he's going to put him in a position to succeed. Um, you know, I'm really interested to see what that left side looks like, assuming James Daniels is going to be the left guard. Uh, you know, that, that might create a little bit of uncertainty there, uh, just because you, you're going to have a guy, you know, James Daniels, who hasn't played obviously a whole lot of football at the pro level at that position, especially with a guy who's never played that position at the pro level. That is, you know, makes me a little nervous, but uh, we'll, we'll see how that plays out. But it's going to be interesting to, to see how that left side uh, shakes out in camp. Yeah, if you're nervous, imagine being the quarterback. Hey, <laughs> <laughs> hey, hey Brandon, I think they're going to go with uh, Cody Whitehair there at left guard, okay. who, like you know, uh, played like left tackle at Kansas State. And actually, I think, the um I have to look again. I think the offensive line coach at Oklahoma State was Cody's offensive line coach mm-hmm. at Kansas State. So anyway, uh, and then it put James at uh, right guard is what I'm thinking they're going to do. So, but we'll see okay. uh, how that all plays. I like out. having that veteran presence there next to Jenkins. Yeah, I think that, and and we talked about earlier uh, on our podcast today that Sam Mustafer's strength is is getting everybody organized, uh, recognizing the defense, getting everybody moving in the right direction. So uh, if Tevin Jenkins you know, if he can fit in well there at that left tackle position, um, they might be set. I mean, I mean, if he ends up being like you said, a Jedrick Wills, I mean, they, they might be pretty good there on their offensive line. Uh, which yet to be seen. Seven games is not a whole lot of film, but um, you know, right. he like you're saying, he has the talent, uh, he has the mentality. Um, you know, I, I, I'm guessing that that the problem some people had, uh, like you said, of coach. Uh, questioning uh, whether he loved football is, you know, his, his coach Gundy said uh, that he became just started to really get into football over the last 18 months, which um, not a very smart yeah. thing for a head coach to say <laughs> before right. the draft. But anyway, yeah. right. uh, uh, moving on to, I saw you posting on Twitter that you've, you've studied uh, the tackle the bears took in the fifth round, Larry Barome. Uh, give us some background and what you thought about him. Yeah, so right away when you watch him on tape, I mean, he, he's a really big dude. I mean, you know, not like the best looking type of build either, if you know what I mean, just a lot of extra weight. Oh, I'm um, an old lineman. Um, I know what you mean, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know, I know. Of course. Yeah, yeah, but it's just not something you typically see in today's college game. You know, most of these guys are pretty lean, uh, you know, as opposed to maybe when you played and, you know, because I mean, I, I remember watching growing up Willie Anderson and mm-hmm. all, you know, Pace and Joe and all these dudes were just huge. And, you know, now they're a lot more lean. Um, he's definitely not that. Uh, but I heard that he lost, you know, quite a bit of weight for his pro day, which I didn't know. Um, but, you know, at his pro day still, you know, he's 6'4", almost 6'5", 322, um, you know, really thick type of build, um, which I think helps him actually because he has a lot of mass and, um, you know, a lot of girth, really. And he's a, he's a tough guy to get around in pass protection, just simply because of that. Um, and I like him because he has pretty light feet as well out of his stance. Uh, he's not like some slug out there, you know what I mean? He, he actually can 
can move his feet um, and he times the snap pretty well, uh, which I think helps him be quick out of his stance. So those two things right away jumped out to me and made me, you know, I really enjoyed watching him just because of those things. Because when you have a guy that big moving that quick out of the gate, it's, per, it's fun to watch. Um, and, you know, he, he's really good against the bull rush. Uh, I think he, he finds his anchor really quickly. Um, so I think that's one of the better things that he actually does in pass protection. In, in the run game, I think he can really uh, do a nice job when he can get his hands on guys quick to create initial displacement. Um, I think he has probably above average uh, upper body strength and he can, you know, steer guys uh, and sustain fairly well. Um, and I think he's good at passing off games as well with his guard. Um, so, you know, those are things in terms of the strength section of the report that I wrote in my notes. Um, you know, again, going back to that range thing uh, against, you know, those legit speed rushers off the edge, that's going to be a struggle for him. I think uh, maybe the weight played a factor into that to some extent. So with him at a lighter weight, maybe that's, you know, lessened a little bit. But I think that was something that led me to believe that he might be a better fit inside uh, just because of everything I've described so far. I thought translated pretty well in there. Um and, you know, in space, you know, in terms of, in terms of climbing to the second level and things like that, I think he has well below average quickness and change of direction ability. He's not like, you know, the best athlete when you get him out in space in terms of redirecting and lining up smaller targets. And I think he needs to work on his hands as well. Uh, kind of erratic with his placement, oftentimes high. And one thing that I've noticed with him that I was pretty obvious on tape, he has a really noticeable tell in his stance. Um, that kind of s- signals where the play is going. He really opens up his hips. He played right tackle. So you opened up that right hip in his stance whenever it was a pass and he had to get into his set or run right. And then you could see him really close off that hip when it was a run left. And that just signaled maybe some mobility questions um, with, with him there that could, you know, be you know, exacerbated in the pro game. So those are weaknesses that I noticed, but, you know, started 33 games. Um, you know, in his career, uh, 16 at right tackle, two at left guard, one at left tackle. He's a former three-star recruit, so not a, like a overly hyped guy. Um, but he's a former basketball player, and I think that that shows up in his past that, um, just, you know, his feet. He played basketball his whole life until his freshman year of high school when he realized, you know, I'm 6'4", 320. We should probably, you know, try out some football and, uh, <laughs> moved over, you know, to switch sports in high school and then, played it from there but um yeah i mean you know i, I projected him as a sixth round pick a guy that you want to bring in to provide you know, competition and depth in a you know downhill type run run scheme um which you know that, that so that's how i saw him um it'll be interesting you know that the weight factor uh, in losing some and maybe improving maybe mobility or athletic ability and movement skills maybe he could play right tackle but i thought inside a guard would be his best fit so, yeah, I don't, I'm, I'm really interested to see how it plays out. But I think he could be like a quality depth guy, at least initially. Yeah, who would you compare him to, uh, Brandon, as far as NFL comparison? I know you compared Tevin uh, to Jedrick Wills. Who would you compare Larry to? Yeah, I, so we had to do comparisons for Bleacher Report or else I probably wouldn't have done as many as I did. But uh, <laughs> it wasn't always fun to do it. But I, for him, I, I, I landed on one that I felt pretty good about, and that was Jamon Brown. Uh, he's a guard who I think he's, I don't even know if he's, uh, I think he's a free agent right now, but he played for several years for the, the, uh, the Rams. 
Um, he might be on the Eagles right now, actually, mm-hmm. maybe on practice squad or something like that. Um, but when he was playing, uh, you know, he has quite a few starts in his career. Um, and that, I don't know if anybody's familiar with him. He went to Louisville. He's a third round pick, actually. Um, but, you know, 6'4, 320, similar type of physical, you know, appearance and stature. And I thought a similar playing style. You know, it's not a one for one comparison, but there's some similarities there. So that's kind of how I envisioned his career going. Maybe a guy who could start, you know, down the line, you know, a little bit, but more so than anything, it's just going to be a guy who's kind of scheme dependent, who you want in a certain type of system, who can be, you know, depth for you and maybe back up a couple spots. You know, that's how I kind of follow him. Hey, Brian, my question for you is, I know that after the Bears uh, took Tevin Jenkins, there was a run on offensive tackles, a little bit of uh, Liam Eikenberg goes, uh, Sam Cosme goes from Texas, uh, Washington takes him, the Dolphins take Eikenberg, uh, Dylan Radunes out of North Dakota State goes to the Titans, and Christensen from BYU goes to the Panthers. And my question is, if you're the Chicago Bears and you know you're going to cut Leno if you take this guy, a left tackle, would you still have taken Tevin Jenkins first over all of those guys uh, to play left tackle. Yeah, I, I probably would have oh, okay. just because I, I I feel so good about about the player. Um, you know, even if it wasn't right tackle, I, I still like him just more than those guys in general. So even if there may be a little bit more of an adjustment period early on, because um, he had he didn't play left exclusively like a guy like Liam Eikenberg did, mm-hmm. who I really liked as well. He's probably the guy I liked most out of the rest of those names. Um, yeah, I, I probably would have just cause I think he, you know, his, his ceiling is, is higher than those guys in my opinion. Um, maybe a guy like Sam Cosme, you know, he, he has more athletic ability than, than Jenkins does, but I, he has a lot of technique work, I think, uh, you know, still to go. And for Jenkins, I, yeah, I just like him so much as a player, man. And I, you know, I feel good about his play strength. I feel good about his competitive toughness. And then some of the things he was doing with his hands. I mean, if he can, you know, just ha- have a good situation to go into in terms of like how they scheme things up and, you know, being next to white hair. I think that even if initially there's some, you know, bumps getting used to that side, I, I think long term, I like him more than all those guys. Brandon, I know the draft just ended, but as a scout and an analyst and an evaluator, you're always looking at the next draft, the next group of guys. Who are some of the linemen that you can see being some of the top picks in next year's draft if you've if you already started your evaluation? Yeah, I, I haven't technically started, but just watching, you know, all these guys, I you know, can't help but notice some of the younger guys and just, just one guy that jumps off, you know, my mind right away is uh, Evan Neal from Alabama. Uh, he's a guy who played right tackle last year as a true sophomore. Six seven three sixty um, is his size, and he moves well. <laughs> he's he's a freak, um, and yeah, I mean, he's a guy who is definitely. I think next year as a true junior, going to be in consideration for top ten pick. I would think um, you know top twenty probably, uh, if not higher. I mean, he he looks pretty special. Um, you know, I think all the things that he needs to work on is really technique based, uh, fundamental based and just, you know, ironing those things out and refining those, uh, cause in terms of like ability and traits, he has all that stuff in spades and, you know, starting right tackle for the best offensive line in the country last year for Alabama played right guard as a true freshman, I believe, um, or left guard, 
and then moved to right tackle. He might have moved to left tackle this year for Alabama. Um, but yeah, I mean, he's a guy who, you know, really for me is maybe like the top guy that I can think of right now, uh, maybe in the, in the next class. Yeah, and everybody, you name all these guys from Alabama, and everybody keeps oh, telling man. me how great of a X's and O coach Nick Saban is. <laughs> right. Hey, you got, you got hey, six, you got seven, seven, 360 that can move. Hey, you hey, call it whatever you want. You can't turn a donkey into a racehorse. <laughs> I know that. You. I know that for a fact. <laughs> hey, uh, well, he knows. Yeah, hey, um, Brandon, uh, my my last one for you is um, been reading. I, I get a lot of questions on Twitter uh, from some people just about, and I know you've studied this way more than I have. And you know, obviously, I'm a guy. I played center, but the guy with shorter arms. Uh, are you worried at all about Tevin Jenkins' arm length? Uh, not not really. Um, if the measurement that came in at the pro day was accurate, which I you know would assume it is, um, you know, he was 33 and change. Uh, I think it was 33 and a half. I mean, that to me is fine to, to play tackle. I, I, th- I really think 33 and above is the benchmark for tackle. Uh, there's just so many examples of guys playing tackle with 33 and changing arms, you know, and we can go down the line. There's a lot. Brian Belaga, Jason Peters, um, Dwayne Brown, Jake Matthews, uh, Gosh, there's so many guys with under 34 inch arms. Um, there, there really is, and playing at a high level as well. Lael Collins. Um, so yeah, uh, and you know most of this class had under 34 inch arms as well, which is kind of interesting. Um, but yeah, so you know 33 and a half, I think is, is going to be just fine for him. Um, I, you know, if he struggles with left tackle, I think more than anything, it's going to be because of his feet um, and the range thing. Uh, if he's left on an island a lot. And, you know, an obvious passing downs, which I don't think will happen. Um, you know, I think, you know, Jedrick Wills last year with the Browns, obviously they ran a different system. You know, a lot of play action, heavy run team. You know, those things help a rookie offensive lineman. You know, if you're running the ball a lot and using play action a lot, I think that takes a lot off your plate. You know, you're not dropping back, you know, and expecting the guy to, you know, pass protect for, you know, 40 times a game and not providing a lot of help and stuff like that. So if he's put in the right type of situation with, you know, just, I think just competent coaching will do, which I think is in place there. Um, you know, I, I think he'll be fine, but you know, it's those certain situations where I think his range, you know, may creep up and, and bite him a couple of times when he's facing really high level competition. So that, that's probably my biggest concern with him, not on way. Well, if you don't think Nagy's going to leave him alone out there, you should have just watched the Super Bowl with his mentor, Andy Reid. <laughs> Left those two tackles out there to get destroyed. But uh, like you said, man, hopefully they, they you know, they <laughs> give the ball to Montgomery, stick to that outside uh, zone they were running, boot, maybe to get uh, fields on the field and he can move around at pocket, give him some help, some chips from tight ends and running backs. But hey, Brandon, man, thanks a lot uh, for coming on again and sharing with us what you thought about uh, Tevin Jenkins and uh, the Bears offensive line yeah absolutely Kat. my pleasure it'll be exciting to see how it goes the best way to celebrate winning plays and touchdown is with tequila embajador that's my way of celebrating if you want to make the right play call go online order your bottle of tequila embajador at www.embajadortequila.com slash buy dash online dash html and enter the discount code no name pod and receive your 10 percent discount on each bottle purchase or 
50% off with a purchase of two bottles. Tequila and Bajador, where every sip is made to comfort the soul. All right, Jay Magman, that's going to do it for today's show. Uh, as always, uh, you know, share our podcast with your friends, your families, your neighbors, anybody who likes football. Uh, give us a rating if you like. Hopefully, it's a five star rating. If not, give us a rating and tell us how we can improve the show. <laughs> but uh, thank, thank you for your time for listening in. And uh, you've been listening to the No Name Podcast. Thanks for hanging out with us. And we'll see you next time.